Kia ora everybody, how's it all going out there? Welcome to this episode of The Stag Raw. This episode we speak with Ryan Muncy, who runs the Better Human Project podcast. They take a look at different people and how they are making an impact. And through the podcast, the Better Human Project hopes to raise further support for the ventures that they're talking through. So it's a really cool little podcast looking at uh, the social enterprise space and flipping that paradigm of of funding and, and creating content and different ways of building revenue for amazing things. In Ryan's consulting life, he works to help athletes and entrepreneurs optimize mind and body for greater impact. Ryan himself has a degree in dietetics, has been a former fitness model, he owned a performance training facility and he's also written for publications such as Men's Health and he's part of the Men's Health Fitness Council as well. Ryan's latest book is out now on Amazon and it's called Fuck Your Feelings and it takes a look at success through the lens of a neuroscience. So it's all pretty exciting stuff. Me having done a bit of neuroanatomy and neurophysiology at uni, I was geeking out a little bit with our chat. It was awesome to have somebody who has been there and done it He's had a successful podcast in the past, the Optimal Performance Podcast, based around uh, fitness training and mindset, and it's cool to see Ryan take something onto his own journey now, as well as what looks to be a fantastic book, and the uh, links to ordering that book will be in the show notes through Amazon, and I'll head straight over there and order one myself, so there'll be one order from New Zealand, and hopefully a few more of you out there like what you hear in this podcast, and get on down to that as well. Obviously, we missed out putting a podcast up last week. Uh, We were due to interview a couple more people before Ryan. Um, My daughter came on on Monday, so it's been a hell of a week for me, and we spoke in this podcast about the importance of sleep and definitely feeling the effects of a little less sleep, but we've been doing super well and timing things and Alex and I are working together but that's enough about me without further ado let's get into the podcast this is a great one I hope you enjoy Ryan Muncy of the Better Human Project and the book on Amazon fuck your feelings cheers Hey everybody, we're talking here with Ryan Muncy. Ryan is an absolute legend. He's responsible for getting us with Sean Baker last time and it's so cool to be able to follow that up with the man himself. Um, Ryan, what did you get up to on the weekend, bro? Uh, What did I do this past weekend? Um, Man, I I can't even remember. I got to think about this. Let's see. So I, I'm a member of a co-working space here in Virginia Beach and uh, spent Saturday morning there with a friend of mine, Rick Alexander, uh, who is uh, a fellow writer and podcaster. Uh, I can actually make an introduction for you with him if you'd like to have him on your show. But his show is Lionheart Radio. I think you guys would hit it off pretty well. So uh, we, we just chatted for a few hours, had some coffee, got a workout in, um, came home, wife and I hung out. Um, we went and saw a movie, had date night, and then uh, Sunday just rested up, took it easy, did some food prep for the week, and um, that's about it, man. Pretty pretty low key. Nice, man. That sounds like uh, a pretty awesome balance, uh, contacting with people of like-mindedness, spending time with a loved one, and, and then preparing mm-hmm. for the week. 
Um, yeah. is, that a, is that a constant thing, being prepared for the week? You, you, you look to be a pretty busy guy, and it must be great having that ready to go. Yeah, I, I'm definitely one of those guys who, uh, you know, I, I'm very vigilant uh, about how I spend my time and, and how my schedule is set up. And, um, you know, it's one of those things that if we're not uh, looking at that in advance and, and setting it up for success for ourselves, uh, that's, it's, it's not going to happen on its own. So you know, I'm a big believer in, you know, time management and setting things up in a way facilitates the results that you're looking to get. That's awesome, mate. So you're a, you're a former fitness model uh, and you used to be the owner of a performance facility. Who's Ryan Muncy today, mate? Man, uh, well, I'm definitely not a fitness model, I can tell you that. Um, that, was, uh, that was an interesting uh, experience and uh, you know, I tell people all the time that one of the reasons that I pursued that was uh, it was when I graduated college, I had the option to, to either do that or um, do an internship and become a registered dietitian. And in college, I, I took all of the, you know, half of my curriculum was science-based. The other half was the nutrition core courses. And, you know, unfortunately, what we're taught in the nutrition side was funded by big food, big pharma, all the, the things that we're trying to fight and um, the recommendations for, um, you know, how to teach people to eat didn't really match what I was learning in the science side of things. So I really didn't want to pay to do an internship to then be a part of this orthodoxy that I really didn't believe in. Um, and the other alternative was to go to New York City and get paid to lift weights and try to look good. And uh, I, I thought that that would help me build a platform where I could have a voice and then educate people on the things that I was learning myself. Um, so it was never really a, hey, I want to be a model. It was, I enjoy lifting weights and I might be able to get paid to do it. And in the process, build this platform from which I can educate and help people. Uh, it, it turned out to not necessarily be that way, but, um, you know, I think I am still a person, I know I'm still a person who you know, very much enjoys learning and, and educating myself, but then also sharing that information with others in a way that can help people live stronger, healthier, happier lives. And, uh, you know, I've been fortunate enough to do that as a personal trainer. And then that evolved into owning my own facility. Um, and then from there, it was uh, the old podcast that I was hosting, the OPP, working with Natural Stacks, and then you know moving on from there to what we're doing now with the Better Human Project and and the book. Um, you know, so who am I now? Is I guess just yeah, I'm the 2018 version of myself, just just trying to learn uh, as much as I can about the human body, the human experience, life, and you know, sharing it with amazing people doing amazing things and, and trying to help as many people along the way as possible. That's awesome, mate. You, you touched on two things there about dietetics and that was belief in orthodoxy and um, something that's just been highlighted to me over the last oh, probably few months is, is the fact that, especially in the Dietetics Association, it is to do with belief in orthodoxy and a lot of the ideas comes from uh, the Seventh-day Adventist Church. I always wondered where, the, where this sort of uh, reverence from vegetarian and veganism come from and, and 
that that's a massive factor. Was it something that you ever noticed that meat wasn't really talked about in the dietetics curriculum or, or how meat can be bad or what, what did, have you been highlighted to that now? Well, in my education, it wasn't meat that turned me off from what the orthodoxy was was teaching as much as it was just the general all foods fit. Um, you know, there was no bad mouthing of meat in, in my education. Um, it was just, um, you know, anything in moderation and all foods fit. And if you want to drink a Pepsi, that's fine. Like, um, uh, you know, for example, the, the recommended diet when, when I was going through school, carbohydrates and then you know we had one class that was called medical nutrition therapy and you're taught how to plan a diet for people with certain um, you know nutrition disease states celiac or um, you know Crohn's things like that and and for the diabetics the recommendation was to uh, you know we learned how to do the dietary exchanges and and things like that and and the recommendation was to take the carbohydrate intake from 60% of their total calories down to 50% of their total calories so you're telling me that a nutritional intervention for somebody who doesn't handle carbohydrates well still prescribe their half of their calories come from the thing that they don't tolerate well it just it made zero sense to me um you know this idea that you know we know high fructose corn syrup is is not something that we should be ingesting and you know to have a teacher up there in a, in a program saying like you know these things are okay and you know we can find a way to make them work and i just didn't i i don't i don't buy it i don't believe that i didn't want to be a part of that absolutely um, so it really had nothing to do with, with, with meat or anything like that at that point. Um, it, it was just more of the, uh, you could tell that everything was funded by, um, you know, the big agri that, you know, runs, at least runs the United States. And um, I'm not sure how it is globally, but I'm sure it's, it's pretty similar. Yeah, no, they, um, it's, it still pops up and, and um, you go and just need to go into hospitals and see what, see what's on the menu. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it, it blows your mind a little bit when you when you take a step back and look at how how is this uh, inverted commas healthy. Um, you, you spoke about the optimal performance podcast. What what was really the the driver for that, and 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 why why have you sort of wrapped that up for now? Yeah, so I had the opportunity uh, early two thousand fifteen. Um, I was wrapping up doing a podcast for my gym. And, uh, you know, when I had my facility, it was called House of Strength. And you know, I really loved the idea of being a podcaster and being able to interview, you know, the, the smartest people that I could find, learn from them, and then put that out as content to help other people at the same time. Um, unfortunately, you know, it, it takes a lot of work and it's almost a full-time job in itself, as you know. And when I was trying to do that for the gym, the podcast wasn't monetized. And as a gym owner, it took me away from the high value activities that I needed to be doing to move that mission forward. Uh, You know, so I realized that despite the the fact that I wanted to be a podcaster, uh, you know, I needed to keep my attention on the gym. And as I decided to to move away from that, um, you know, I had the opportunity from natural sex to, uh, they asked me if I wanted to host their podcast, the OPP. And, um, you know, they 
said, we'll pay you to do it. And I said, all right, well, that's exactly what I was looking for. And, you know, now I get to do what I wanted to do. And I had some revenue coming in from it, which, you know, made it worthwhile. Um, and, um, you know, it was just, it was an incredible opportunity and, and a lot of great experiences, but, you know, now, um, with the book coming out and, uh, you know, things going in the direction that, you know, I'm moving, uh, it just made sense to, um, you know, separate from natural stacks and, you know, be able to do my own thing. And, you know, when I promote the book and, uh, you know, then it's, it's my following, it's my thing. I mean, the, the book is, is completely separate from natural stacks. So, uh, you know, it just made sense to separate and, and make things, you know, separate entities. Oh, that's awesome, man. Um, so based off of your Instagram bio, you're helping athletes and entrepreneurs op- optimize mind and body for a greater impact. Uh, there's so much in there, just in that statement. Mind, of course, uh, if you're not tapping into it, then, you, then you, you're missing a lot. And then I like it that your focus of it is to create greater impact. Um, how does that firstly follow in your life? And then um, what, what do you sort of people that you're mentoring get back from that? What have you noticed? Yeah, I think the, the idea of being able to make an impact is uh, it's sort of the next step in the evolution of our health and fitness pursuits, right? I, you know, I, like, I, like we've been talking about, I come from a nutrition background and a gym background. Um, at some point, you know, I realized that I had to do more with my own life than bench press or squat a certain amount or have a certain body fat. Um, you know, if, if I get to the end of my life and the most positive thing that someone can say about me is, you know, oh, he squatted X number of pounds or, or kilos, or, you know, he had X body fat percentage, you know, then, yeah, I didn't really life of service. I didn't really do anything to leave a legacy or, or contribute to uh, my community or, or to the rest of humanity. So um, I, I think I started to have that evolution around 2012 and it was right about the time I was starting my own gym. And, um, you know, for me, it is, you know, I don't, I don't eat a certain diet to just say, you know, it's about the diet. It is, how does that diet facilitate the rest of my life? Uh, Same thing with fitness for me now. It's not, you know, I don't live for the workout or live for the gym. I do that stuff to, um, you know, promote longevity and, and put my mental health, my physical health in a place that, facilitates what I'm trying to do outside of the kitchen, outside of the gym, um, so that I can enhance, can enhance the rest of my life. And, you know, that's the people who think like that are the people that I resonate with, uh, as a coach or as a mentor or whatever it may be. And, you know, the, the people that I get to consult with and coach are, you know, people who are special forces operators or, um, former Olympians or, or people who are conquering big goals um, you know, C-level executives who are looking to optimize those aspects of their life so that they can then in turn show up in their relationships, in their business, in their entrepreneurial pursuits the way they want to so that they can build a business that provides jobs for other people and then they can educate their, uh, their own employees and help those people change their lives or uh, you know, invest in businesses that change lives or um, there's just a lot of different ways that, that these people are, you know, making the world a better place through what they do. And, you know, my role is to just help them be the best version of themselves. 
they can be so that they can show up and move through the world the way they want to. Fantastic. Now, you said 2012 and probably the last sort of three, four years for me, I've noticed, um, and, and I know it's something Joe Rogan talks about, frontal cortex comes in when you're a bloke about 25, but um, I've noticed that you start to try and build on what, what you have a meaning out of life. How old were you at 2012? And, and have you found that there was sort of a switch and you've started to blossom in your thinking? Yeah, I, I think there, there definitely was a switch. Uh, there were a lot of factors that came into play in 2012. Um, you know, when I started to, when I started to short, sort of shift my focus and what my priorities were, um, I guess I would have been 2012. That was five years ago. I would have been 28, 29. Um, I don't even know anymore, man. <laughs> uh, I was born in 1984. So somebody can do the math on that. Um, and you know, I, like I said, I, I had been, um, at that point I'd been a personal trainer for about three or four years. Um, and I was starting my own facility. So I was making that switch from, okay, I'm no longer a personal trainer or a strength coach. I'm now a business owner. Uh, I've got to learn how to manage cash, manage people, um, you know, do marketing. I was learning psychology for, for marketing purposes. And, um, you know, I'm writing blog posts, not because I have something to say, but because these things need to be targeted and trying to uh, promote the message of our gym and get people in the gym. And, you know, I really started to, um, you know, when, you, when you're a personal trainer, you may have a, a client base of 10, 20, 30 people. When you own a facility like that, you know, our membership was 100, 150. Um, so, you know, the, the sample size and the population that I got to work with was much larger. I got to see a broader range of um, uh, fears and, and doubts and goals and, um, you know, I had mentors both on a personal level and in a business development level. So um, there were just so many different things that kind of all came together at the same time to sort of help me, um, you know, shift my focus, my priorities and, and sort of develop as a human um, in a way that I had not yet. I love it. The, the touch on fear there. What do you do to knock down a fear or, or, how do you assess an existing belief when you're trying to attack something new? Like writing a book must have been a hell of an undertaking. <laughs> and it would have been a lot of doubts in your own mind. What, what are some of your little skills to combat fear and stay in a place of power? Yeah, I, I think one of the most powerful habits that we can build for ourselves is um, this idea of doing something that makes you uncomfortable every single day. And you know, the more we do that, the more we inoculate ourselves to uh, adversity or, or fear or anxiety. Um, you know, we talk about this in the book, actually, uh, or I talk about it in the book, but there is a difference between fear and anxiety. And fear is the actual presence of a threat. Um, anxiety is uh, the threat itself is not there, but you are worried that it is there. So if we're walking down a path in the woods and there's a snake, that's fear. Um, if you're walking down the woods walking down that same path in the woods and you're afraid that you might see a snake, that's not fear. That's anxiety. You're, you're thinking about the threat of that thing being there, but it's not actually there. So, um, I, I think understanding those is an important thing for everyone who's trying to optimize their mind and, you know, kind of direct their lives. And, um, again, that's something that 
that I touch on in the book and kind of explain a little bit deeper. But, you know, with this practice of, of doing something that makes you uncomfortable every day, not only will you inoculate yourself to that fear, if you will, um, or that act of doing something uncomfortable, but through that practice, you will also bring more and more things into your comfort zone. You will develop skills, you will develop habits, you will learn things that now help you grow and evolve as a human because you know, what once was outside your comfort zone is now inside your comfort zone. And by definition, that is expanding your comfort zone. You are becoming a, a more well-rounded human. Um, so I think that's, that is a very tangible and actionable tip to, um, you know, begin to be someone who others may see as fearless. It doesn't mean that you're not afraid of those things. It just means that you have learned to kind of do them anyway. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions is that, you know, a lot of people will look at others and say, oh, well, that person's fearless or, um, you know, I would be afraid to do that. Well, most people are, they just do it anyway. So that's kind of your choice. Do you want to, do you want to let that fear stop you or, uh, you know, are you going to do what you really want to do? That's an absolute gym, man. Um, so Ryan Muncy is a five-year-old. What is it? <laughs> What is a defining characteristic of you as five that you think might show up today? Now, I know, I know, I know for myself, I was, I was a big dreamer when I was young. I was, I was, I was winning the Rugby yeah. World Cup and the Soccer World Cup in my backyard as a five-year-old. What, <laughs> what, what was, what's the also the thing that you think comes through today? You know what, man? This, this is so funny because I, there is a, a picture of me as a child, and I am probably, if not five, I'm very close to five. And it's my favorite picture that I've ever had taken of me. Um, I was an absolute badass at five years old. And I <laughs> wish that I could be that version of myself every single day. Um, my, uh, I, and to this day, I'm a huge Bruce Springsteen fan. Nice. Um, but uh, there's a story that my, my aunt, my mom's sister, had, she came down to visit us and we were driving in the car and I'm in the back seat. And of course, Born in the USA album came out the year that I was born and my parents had the cassette and she, my aunt tells the story of me sitting in the back of the car and we're driving and I'm like, mommy, mommy, can we listen to Bruce? And I wasn't even old enough to be able to pronounce my R's, uh, <laughs> but I knew I wanted to listen to the boss. And uh, I had this, my, my dad had taken this two by four and used a staple gun and stapled this like nylon piece of cloth to it. And uh, that was my fake guitar. So I've got this like four foot long two by four with a nylon strap around it. And I'm just running around the yard playing that thing like it's my guitar. So there's this picture. I got my feet like far apart and I'm just jamming on this thing outside in the backyard. And uh, I just, I thought I was a rock star. And just that, to me, that just kind of captures that like you said, that, that carefree dreamer, passionate, fun, uh, version of yourself. And, uh, I, I think that's what I like to envision, uh, the five-year-old version of me being, and, uh, I would love, and I do try to channel that into as much of what I do on a daily basis as I can today. That's a powerful story, man. I love it. Um, changing tact a little bit, uh, Am I correct in saying that when you were talking with Sean, you, you were saying that you do a little bit of a hunting? Is that correct? I do. I am a, a hunter. I grew up, um, if, if 
I'm assuming most of your audience is based in New Zealand, but yeah. um, if, if folks are familiar with the U.S. Uh, on the eastern coast, we've got um, the Appalachian Mountains, and of course, the Appalachian Trail runs from uh, Georgia all the way up to Maine. And uh, where I grew up in southwestern Virginia, um, the Appalachian Trail was you know it went through a few of my friends' backyard. You could see my high school from the the trail. So you know, I grew up in the mountains and. Um, was fortunate enough to be able to you know, learn hunting and fishing uh, as a youngster and, and did all that, um, you know, growing up and, and still enjoy getting outside in nature and uh, interacting with the natural world as much as I can. Nice. And so what does is, what is hunting mean for you? Because for me, I'm, I'm not a, I haven't been hunting for very long, about the last sort of five or six years in. And I'm yet to have success in the wild as such, but uh, I, like yourself, have some free, have a friend that has a farm with, with animals that graze on it. So it's, it's good to go down there. But what is it about hunting? Mm-hmm. I just love getting away, challenging myself and, and, and testing myself against nature who's powerful. Yeah, and, and you make some, some good points there. I mean, there, there are a lot of reasons that I'm drawn to now. Um, as an adult, it is sort of getting away from the the hustle and the you know the busy chaotic world that we live in now. It's it's a great way to uh, you know unplug and de-stress and recharge um, to just be able to get outside and you know you're you're so you have to be so focused and so present you know when you're um, you know I love walking through the woods and you know looking at the tracks and and looking at the the rubs and and trying to figure out okay well. You know, I know there are animals here, but you know, which way are they moving and what times? And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bow hunter. So for me to, you know, harvest an animal, I have to be within 30, maybe 40, 50 yards uh, of this animal, um, which is completely different from, uh, say rifle hunting where, you know, basically if you can see it, it's in range. Um, you know, so with the bow, you know, there's a lot of strategy and a lot of, um, you know, patience, a lot of luck involved. And, um, you know, you've got to really get inside their minds and figure out where they're going to be. And then you've got to get there before and do it in a way where you're undetected. Uh, so, so to me, there's a lot more sport and skill involved in bow hunting. Um, I mean, even you can do all those things, right. And, you know, the arrow can hit a tree. Uh, or a branch that you don't see. Uh, I've had that happen before and, you know, you miss the shot because, you know, if it was a a bullet, it would not be deflected by a little twig or a branch, but an arrow might be. So, um, you know, there's, there's a lot going on, at least for me with, with bow hunting. And, you know, aside from the the decompress and uh, the the de-stress, you know, with being in nature, um, I just find it a very satisfying, primitive, primal thing to to know that I can go out. You know, no matter what happens, um, I can go out and provide food for for myself and my family. Uh, you know, I know how to track an animal. I know how to get where it's going to be, and and I can harvest it with a bow and arrow. Uh, I can skin it. I can butcher it. I can you know use every inch of that animal. And um, yeah, it's it's not about you know killing or trophies or, or, you know, pictures for Instagram. It's, um, it's just something that, that I enjoy as a, as a human. Absolutely. It resonates very well with me too, mate. And, and it's great to see so many stories now about the true essence of hunting coming out. And, and like you say, it's not about photos or trophies. It's, it's about a full complete experience of being a human and, and, and I love it. Um, what are three 
non-negotiables for you, whether that's on a daily basis, a weekly basis, or each year, what are three things that you really like to lock in to maximize who you are? That's a great question. Um, I, I would say movement. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be lifting weights in the gym. That, that's probably one of the, the types of movement that I grad, gravitate towards the most. But um, if I don't move every single day, um, you know, even on a non-lift day, I want to do some yoga or paddleboard or uh, at least walk, you know, five, 10,000 steps. Um, so movement is a non-negotiable. Sleep is another non-negotiable. Um, I, I hate to bring that up because I feel like it's such a boring answer uh, and I feel like it's such a common answer. But at the same time, uh, if I'm not getting that, um, you know, eight hours, you know, going to bed at the right time, waking up at the same time every morning, um, I'm not the person that I want to be or need to be. So I would have to say that that is one of my non-negotiables. Um, and then I'll, I'll give you something that's a little bit different. This is, uh, I would say, integrity. and. Mm -hmm that is one that, um, it applies to us as individuals, but I think it's also something that, you know, we can make sure, you know, that's a non-negotiable for me in the people that I, uh, surround myself with, that I choose to, um, collaborate with, work with, be involved with, um, projects that I get involved in. Um, you know, I, I think that integrity has to be there. Um, you know, I, I want to know that the other people are, are doing it for the right reasons as well. And if they're not, you know, then, you know, I think that's a, I think that's a great way to, you know, sort of define your values and then use those as, um, a, a compass or, or a screening, uh, tool to make sure that any relationship or collaboration or partnership that you enter into is one that will work for you for the long term. Absolutely. And that's definitely something I felt that I've improved on with life. I, I know, in my early 20s and going into university, I probably lost that. I was, I was very much trying to appease other people. And, and you're right, when you don't have an integrity, you feel very empty. And, and changing that about myself is, is, has been great. You, you touched on sleep, and I've, I've been putting up my sleep cycle the last little while, and it's been thoroughly interesting to see the ups and downs. What are some little tactics that you use in the evening to optimize that you said about getting to bed at the right time and, and mm -hmm. making sure you've got the sleep hours in and, and Jocko Wallach talks about if you want to get up early, go to sleep early and, or just get yep. up early and then you'll go to sleep early. Yep. You no, that, and that's a great way to kind of start that cycle. Um, I, I think in anything I do where I try to set, um, I try to reverse engineer things. I'll look at, you know, if I'm, if I'm scheduling my day, I'll look at, um, you know, what I need to do or, or, or the things that, are uh, the appointments that are time based, right? So like I had, we had this interview, it was at 11 a.m. for me. So, you know, I knew I needed to do certain things pr prior to that. If I want to get eight hours of sleep, you know, every night, and if I get up at, let's say, just for easy math, let's say I get up at 8 a.m., then I have to be in bed by midnight, which I wouldn't recommend. You know, I want, I want to be in bed by nine or 10 every night. So if I'm getting up at six, then I know, okay, let's work backwards. I have to be in bed by 10, which means that I'm going to avoid screens to the best of my ability and blue light, artificial light, 
you know, for 90 minutes prior to that. So then I'm going to turn the TV off if it's on, or if I'm on the computer, I'm going to, you know, shut all that down by 8.30 or nine o'clock at the latest. Try not to look at my phone. Um, you know, uh, we sleep best in a cold room, you know, so uh, take the temperature down. I think optimal is about 66 degrees Fahrenheit, um, you know, somewhere between 64 and 68 I'm not sure what that converts to in Celsius. Sorry, I'm an American. It's all right. Um, <laughs> and um, you you can do the conversions for folks. Yeah, but, well, um, you know, sleep in a cold, cold, dark room, um, you know, trying to avoid light, do things that, so sleep is a parasympathetic activity. And if we can do things prior to actually laying down that move us into parasympathetic states, we will be able to fall asleep faster and improve the quality of our sleep. Um, you know, so some of those activities could be breath work. It could be, um, you know, a hot bath. Our bodies actually like to move from hot to colder. Um, you know, that promotes going to sleep. Um, you know, reading a book. Most important things that we can do is develop our own sleep ritual. And it really doesn't matter what you choose to do, just that you do the same thing consistently and the power of the conditioning mechanism. So if you have, if you, if you know somebody who always reads a book in their hand um, before they go to bed, you could put that person in a car or on an airplane and let them read a book and they will probably fall asleep within 10 or 20 minutes. Uh, you're, they're just conditioned to when I read, it is time to go to sleep. So you can use that power of conditioning to, um, you know, facilitate the habits that you want, um, you know, in this case, better quality sleep. Absolutely. And you, you, you spoke perfectly on a number of points firstly falling asleep it is it is very much about falling it's it's not active um the blue light and, and as an optometrist we're always talking to people about blue light and the importance of sleep um, what it does is it jacks up your serotonin serotonin and melatonin are competing hormones and, and melatonin is that thing that helps you fall asleep and so exactly right working backwards from when you're going to go to sleep and getting the screen away um and then the last one there was about reading a book and the parasympathetic nervous system. And we see the opposite in many people. They're so anxious and so jacked up that they can't focus up close and they often need reading glasses. Um, I think that's one of the reasons why so many of the farmers that I see in work don't need reading glasses because they're just so relaxed <laughs> and chilled out people being in nature all the time. But yeah. When when we treat kids that, that have reading difficulties with just no prescription in place, it's mm. all about trying to get them to relax down, take deep breaths. Um, we often find they're clenching their fists and they're tight and they're moving. And when we do that, all of a sudden, it, it's a big change. And so if you're there relaxing, reading a book, you're going to fall asleep. And it's really simple to think about. If you're trying to run away from something, you don't want to be focused up close. You want to have your vision locked in and in the distance. So if you're in a state of fear, back to that fear, that you're not going to be able to read, you're not going to be able to fall asleep. So, no, it's it's really cool. Now, mate, you're on the men's – oh, you had a point there. Yeah, go for it. No, I just – it's it's just so cool how, you know, when you look at the biology of, you know, how this human body is designed, like it's 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 designed so perfectly. And, you know, when you, when you understand those things, you know, I talk a lot about some of those – some examples of that in the book and, you know, one that I didn't – 
talk about and, and hadn't been aware of because I don't deal with eye health, but what you just mentioned is so cool. It's, it's just, it's, it's amazing to me how our body is designed to, um, just to be this perfect machine that it really is. No, absolutely. <laughs> cool, man. Um, you're a men's fitness, a men's health fitness counselor. What on earth does that mean? I don't even, I don't even know what it means, man. Uh, it means that um, I have some friends uh, who've done some cool things and brought me along for the ride. A <laughs> um, friend of mine was, uh, used to be the editor at uh, Men's Fitness and uh, Muscle and Fitness. Um, you know, just through uh, some of the things that I did in the modeling days, along with um, writing for T Nation and, and Elite FTS, some of the larger uh, websites. Um, you know, in the uh, probably that that time frame of like 2010 to 2000, maybe 13, I think, is when I was writing for those sites a lot, and um, just was fortunate enough to, uh, you know, be recognized, um, by the men's health fitness council and, um, was presented the opportunity to be a part of that. And I said, sure. Um, you know, so, um, yeah, it's, it's more of a passive role. There's not, uh, not a lot of active involvement, um, or, um, you know, I am able to contribute from time to time to, um, you know, some, some articles or answer some questions and, you know, provide guidance where I can. So, um, it's, uh, it's, it's a cool honor to, uh, you know, be asked to be a part of that. Yeah, that's awesome, man. So the, the better human project, mate, um, as I, as I said, that's how we got onto Sean Baker, the better human project. Yep. Um, what is it, what impact is the better human project looking to give people? Yeah, so as I knew that I was going to step down as host of the Optimal Performance Podcast, uh, I knew I wanted to continue to podcast, and I um, was really fortunate to come into contact with a guy named Ryland Hormel, and uh, Ryland is my co-founder at Better Human Project and partner. Um, He is also the media guy for uh, all things on the book side of what I'm doing, and you know, we, we just, he was a great sounding board and, you know, provided a lot of information and input and feedback, you know, as we were both trying to answer the question of, okay, if we're stepping down, if I'm stepping down from the OPP and continuing to podcast, how do I evolve as a podcaster? How do we move this thing forward um, and, you know, open some doors to conversations that, maybe would not have made sense on that previous show. Uh, we don't want any topic or any guest to be off limits. Um, and, and the overriding theme of, you know, what fascinates me and what I'm passionate about is being a better human. And, you know, there are, you know, health and fitness or health and wellness. That's only one pillar of being a better human. You know, we have business, we have relationships, we have so many different things that we can explore. There are a lot of social conversations that we can have, you know, in the climate that is surrounding us today. And, um, you know, we've got this ability now to interview anybody and talk about anything. And, you know, again, kind of talking about one of the, the lines of questioning that you brought up earlier in this show, you know, it's, it's one thing to 
to do all of this self-development and self-mastery and, and grow and develop as a human. But if we're not using what we're building um, or developing in ourselves to make an impact or to help others, um, then why are we doing it? And, you know, we wanted this show to be one that continued to provide people the tools to grow and evolve as an individual, but also to, you know, provide the bridge from that to making a bigger impact in our communities and, um, you know, helping as many people as we could. We are still trying to figure out how we can best make that impact that we want to make. Uh, the original thought was to um, put the show on Patreon, which was be a crowdfunded platform. And then we were going to take 50% of those funds and donate them to the charities of the guests that we featured on our show. And we will still have a charitable component. We will still be contributing to the research and the charities of the guests on our show. But we've taken the show off of Patreon uh, for a few reasons. One, uh, we found ourselves explaining that platform more than we were explaining what we were actually doing. Uh, and that was counterproductive to spreading our message and getting people involved with what we were doing. Um, you know, the other reason is that we don't want, we don't see that as a sustainable, scalable revenue model. Um, essentially we would be cyber begging for eternity. Um, and we want to come up with a product that will provide a solution and better the lives of the people who listen to our show, um, you know, so that they can purchase it. And then we can take that money. And with that money, then we're going to donate to, um, you know, charities research. And we're actually in conversations this week with um, an investment firm who um, they are a nonprofit impact investing firm. And they focus on uh, educating entrepreneurs, providing them the um, the tools that they need to succeed as uh, small businesses and they make huge impact in their communities. They've had three or four highly successful uh, small businesses uh, already. Um, they, I think to date, the businesses that they've invested in have grossed over $12 million in, um, uh, not, not in revenue, but that is the amount of money that they've paid people in wages. So when you say impact, I mean, that's a huge impact. So we originally had this idea to um, make our impact more environmentally focused, uh, but depending on what we can work out with this group, we may actually be shifting our focus to um, empowering people and creating jobs and moving it in that direction. So like I said, we're still trying to figure that out. And I think one of the most exciting things is that we have set this up in a way that, again, there's, there's nothing that's off limits. There's nothing that doesn't make sense. So, you know, we'd never, we didn't know exactly how we were going to do it or what we were going to do, but we didn't want to pigeonhole ourselves in uh, to a certain thing. And, and, you know, we didn't want to create something that was too narrowed in or too focused and then couldn't pivot or expand, um, you know, so 
we're still trying to figure out exactly how we can and, and how we will make this impact. Um, so maybe in another few weeks, we'll be able to tell you exactly what the long-term plan is. But this is something that we see ourselves doing for 20, 30, 50 more years and, and really trying to um, make as big a difference in as many people's lives as we can. As Pavel, mate, and you spoke about one of the challenges of social enterprises, mm-hmm. firstly, having to, like I say, justify why and, and how you're doing it. And then second point about continually fundraising versus creating something that's scalable and growable and, and, and can create a greater impact rather than, like I say, in your case, virtual begging every, every episode. Um, <laughs> It's, it's, a, it's a really cool paradigm shift, which I think we're seeing and, and our second episode with um, a social enterprise here in the Waikato, he's, he's flipping that idea on its head. He's creating content, creating, creating a model that means that businesses can invest in a purpose, see the rewards and then share that, that sort of segment with, with, their, with their customers and, and with their investors and, and you know, create a snowball effect and, and like you say, scale things up and and not not just be a, a fundraiser that lives lives on this you know, smell of an oily rag, you can actually grow and, and create massive impact. So that's really cool. Um I said there's Sean Baker and I wanna get your take on what it's like to live a carnival lifestyle. What have what have you noticed, man? Um as I, as I said when I spoke to him, it's it's a crazy first thought. What have you noticed, mate? And and how did you go about starting? Yeah, you know, I probably had the exact same initial response as most people that you know this thing is crazy. And for for the first week after I initially heard about it, I couldn't stop thinking about it, and uh, I kept coming up with all of the reasons why it wouldn't work and all of the concerns that I had about eating that way. And I started following Sean Baker and um, uh, several other people in that space on Twitter and and other social media platforms. And, you know, there was, for every objection that I could come up with, there was a highly educated individual with a compelling argument that would dispel that particular objection. And it was enough for me uh, out of scientific curiosity to want to try this thing. And, um, you know, I put some thought into it. And for the month of November uh, last year, uh, I did 35 straight days of strict 100% carnivore. Uh, at the end of it, I had my microbiome tested. I had my blood work tested. And, you know, subjectively during the experience, um, the first two weeks were a struggle. And, you know, had I not put it out there publicly that I was going to do it for the entire month, I may have walked away from the experiment. But once I got past that certain point, uh, you know, sort of the way I would describe it is the system comes online and, you know, digestion became regular, uh, a new version of regular and energy just started going uh, through the roof, uh, very stable energy levels throughout the day. Um, hunger completely switched. Um, I, I think it's a diet that regulates appetite. Um, if for no other reason than it teaches you what real physiological hunger is, 
because you've got to be hungry to cook and eat a steak. You know, you can mindlessly eat nuts or, you know, dried fruit or, you know, whatever, but you have to be hungry to cook and eat, you know, a steak. Um, my strength went up. Um, I, I just, I was amazed at how good I felt. And to be honest, I didn't want to stop eating that way because of how great I felt, uh, which was a shock to me. Uh, my blood work came back and I was very curious to see what it would look like. And, and it all looked great. And when we talked about all of those things in, in, in great detail, and I even put all my blood work online, uh, you know, when we were, uh, when we had Sean Baker on episode one of better human project. So, um, you know, I'll, I'll try to avoid repeating so I don't sound like a broken record, but it was just, it, it was, um, it was a fascinating experience and I can't wrap my head around, um, the, the belief that a carnivore diet is the optimal way for a human to live long-term. There are no anthropological records of purely vegan or vegetarian societies. And likewise, there are no anthropological records of purely carnivorous societies. Um, a lot of people will point to the Inuits as an example of that. Um, but I think even those, uh, they would have eaten berries or blueberries if they could have found them at certain times of the year. I think the point there is that I think humans throughout our history on this planet uh, have been opportunistic feeders. The problem is what we have an opportunity to eat in 2018 is way different than it has ever been. Um, you know, for the last hundred years, 50 years that has changed and our lifestyle is at, is at odds with our biology. And I think one of the reasons that the carnivore diet works as well as it does for as many people as it does is that it puts us more in alignment with an ancestral uh, diet or with a diet that fits our biology. Um, so, you know, I, I don't think that it is the way that I will eat for the rest of my life. Um, I just, I, I can't get away from my thought of humans being opportunistic feeders. Um, but that being said, I still eat pretty close to carnivore and I feel great doing it. So I, I, I'm, I'm trying to come to that balance point in my head of what I think I know and what the science says and how I feel when I'm doing it. So, um, it's just something that really fascinates me. Absolutely. Likewise. And, and it's cool to get another perspective on it because it is, as you say, fascinating. Uh, what's another sort of, Thing that you enjoy doing or that you like doing that other people might find strange or quirky and, and why do you do it <laughs> i do a lot of weird things man um <laughs> That's what I, like about I bet if, if you followed me around for a week you'd probably come up with a list of all kinds of weird things but because they're things i do i don't really know what is weird and what isn't um it just it it I realize that there are weird things when I'm around other people and they're like, well, why do you do that? Do that? And um, I, I think one of the things I'll say, and this is probably becoming less and less weird, is uh, I love cold water, cold exposure, um, cold showers, jumping in frozen ponds, cryotherapy. Um, and again, this kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier with um, inoculating yourself to 
being uncomfortable. And there are a lot of physiological benefits to cold exposure. Um, but when I do it, I'm really doing it for the psychological benefit of voluntarily uh, subjecting myself to discomfort. And, you know, when you doing that, there's not a lot of things that are going to happen the rest of the day that are as uncomfortable as walking into that cold shower. And, um, you know, you just, you get that first victory of the day that, um, you know, you just, you set yourself up for, um, you know, success by building momentum and, you know, getting used to being uncomfortable. Absolutely. I, I have the same mindset, mate. I, I jump in that shower and you get that sort of takeover of, Oh crap. But you control your breath, you bring yourself back down and it goes back to that parasympathetic nervous system, touching on that and, and ignoring your sympathetic nervous system. And I find that the day you're just not reactive. You can you can mm-hmm. breathe through anything, and you get home and and you're a smiley happy person. Um, it's I, I again I couldn't recommend it enough. Last last year I jumped in, in the lake in the middle of winter and people were like what the hell was that? <laughs> no, yeah. it was it was, it was uh, uh, so good to hear another person um, talk about that in this in the same way, mate. The book's called. Uh, Fuck your feelings. Have you got it there? Right here, man. Thanks. Yeah. That's awesome. Um, in a world where, especially as guys, we're trying to be more in touch with our feelings, but in a, in a different way to, to the feminine type of, of feelings. Why, why have you decided to name the book? Basically telling them to go yeah, fuck themselves. <laughs> Yeah. And, and you know, it's, it is not what you think it is when you see that title. It's not about, um, you know, being a stoic or, or it's not about reverting to, you know, the 1950s version of a man who, you know, doesn't have feelings or doesn't communicate and is walled off or shut down. It's not that kind of, uh, you know, fuck your feelings. It is, um, from a neuroscience standpoint, um, there's a neuroscientist who, uh, Antonio Damasio, who found that 95% of our decisions are made based on how we feel in any given moment. Uh, so this book is about learning how to control your feelings and in turn your decisions so that they don't direct you or control you. Um, if we look at high performers, um, successful business people, Oprah, Richard Branson, um, look at Navy SEALs or, or Olympic athletes. Um, these are people who over time have accomplished great things. And if we contrast their habits and how they deal with feelings and how they make decisions, we will see that they do the right thing mm-hmm. at the right time, regardless of how they feel. Most people uh, who have not learned to develop that fall into the category of non high performers or people who have not yet accomplished what they want to accomplish in life. So, you know, this book is a neuroscience based exploration of why some people succeed and other people don't. And it is a user's manual for the space between our ears so that we can master parasympathetic versus sympathetic so that we can master that prefrontal cortex over the limbic system so that we can become aware of these underlying biological processes and, you know, in turn 
use that awareness to create choice, which if we've defined our values, like we just talked about before, then you know, we can make decisions that are in alignment with the version of ourselves that we want to be and the goals that we have for our lives. Um, you know, so that's why the book is called Fuck Your Feelings. And that's why I think it's going to change a lot of people's lives. Right, that's powerful. Now, you said it was the toughest day when you released the book. Oh, what was the feelings there, man? <laughs> well, I, and I guess maybe I should have been more clear in the way I wrote that. Not necessarily the, that day of releasing it, but the act of writing that book was the hardest thing I've ever done. Uh, harder than building a business, harder than um, you know, anything that, that has come prior to this in my life. It was... Um, it took over a year to write it. And, you know, there were days where I wanted to scream. There were days where, um, many, many days where at the end of the day, I was just shot and brain dead. And, um, it just writing a book is, uh, it's a really difficult process and it's very rewarding. Uh, I'm glad I did it, but, uh, you know, I can't lie and say that it wasn't difficult. Um, so, you know, I think it was just, that post was just like, man, this was really hard and I'm glad it's done and I can't wait to share it with you guys. Um, but you know, in terms of the day of releasing it, there was a lot of anxiety. I mean, there's this, um, you know, that, that creator in you is wondering, you know, how people are going to respond to this thing. And, you know, I know how much I put into this, so I want to make sure, or you'd like to believe that, you know, people are going to respond to it in a way that you know you want. And, uh, I just thought about, uh, I think, I think it's a quote from Seth Godin and he just talks about, you know, you do the work, you step away from it and you put it out in the world and you know, you just, you have to, um, kind of separate yourself from that piece of work and just let it do its thing. And that's, that's a hard thing to do. Um, you know, I'm, I'm still going to be actively involved in marketing it and promoting it, but at the same time to sort of try to disconnect from, you know, that work is just work that I did. It's something I created, but it's not me. It doesn't define me. Um, so uh, trying to, trying to find that balance right now. That's awesome. And another great person to verse says that if you're going to write a book, it's got to be more important to you to get it out there than keep it in your head. What, what was keep what, making you want to get it out there, mate? What were you seeing? Yeah, I just, you know, I've spent more than 10 years working in the world of transformation, you know, whether that's been nutrition or personal training, strength coach, gym owning, um, and, you know, through uh, what I've gotten to do with Optimal Performance Podcast and consulting with, you know, high level athletes and entrepreneurs. It's all about our habits. It's how we spend our time. And, and it became very clear to me that those were the reasons that successful people had success and the same reasons that people who didn't succeed were falling short of what they wanted to accomplish. And, um, you know, being able to talk to neuroscientists and researchers and, um, you know, really, really smart people. And then kind of taking that scientific and academic background and then line that up with the actual habits from these high performers, um, it, it just, there's a quote that I love success leaves footprints. And, you know, it's, this book is, you know, here's the science, this is what's going on with our biology. And this is how successful people are navigating it. And, you know, here's how we can do that as well. And 
I just felt like that had to get out there because you know, you, we see so much emphasis in the media world put on, uh, well, what's the best diet? What's the best way to train? And, you know, at the end of the day, if you don't have stuff right between your ears, it doesn't matter what diet you try or what training program you try or what business model you try. Um, you know, again, this goes back to what we were saying earlier. You know, the, the purpose here is to, you know, provide people the tools that they need to uh, master their mind and accomplish any goal. And then in turn, that helps become the most uh, significant version of yourself that, that we can become. Awesome. And it's probably a, a good topic to attack as, as a book because the thing you're writing about is the thing that you're practicing. Am I right? What were some of the, the skills that, that you did to get this out in a year? Yeah, so um, it is. It, it's, this is right up my alley. It's, it's what I'm passionate about. And, um, you know, there were quite a few of the things that, in, that are in the book that I did implement um, to actually get the book out. And um, the cold showers on a regular basis were, you know, one of them. Um, there, was, there was about a six-week period where all I did was write. And, you know, my daily routine was wake up, take a cold shower, and get in front of the computer within 30 minutes. And then I set up uh, Pomodoro's, which is a um, productivity timing mechanism. Um, you know, you're nodding your head. You've heard about them. If people don't know, uh, it's the Italian word for tomato timer. And it's uh, 25 minutes of work with five minutes of rest. You repeat that for four cycles, which totals two hours. And then you take a 30-minute break, and then you repeat it. And the idea is that it prevents your brain from uh, getting exhausted or being worn out. It's sort of like breaking a, uh, a strength training workout. You wouldn't do one set of 100 pull-ups. You would break it down into a uh, higher number of sets with lower repetitions so that you don't hit fatigue or burnout. Um, and it was just a way to um, make sure that the quality of my writing stayed high without going insane. Um, so those, I think those were two of the, the things that I can think of off the top of my head that really helped me get this out. That's awesome. No, I, I had heard of Pomodoro and even back when I used to study for exams, I'd try implement that sort of timing and, and yeah, take that two hours to go do some training and, and get into a different headspace and come back to it. No, that's, that's awesome. But where can people find, find you, man? Uh, I, I found you, I think on Instagram and the podcast, and, and now I've looked at your website. Where, 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 could, where do people find those places, man? Yeah, those are the, the best places to go. Uh, the podcast is Better Human Project, and uh, it has its own website. It is betterhumanproject.org. And if you want to follow me on social, it is Ryan Muncy underscore on Instagram. That's the, the social platform that I use the most. I think it's the one that I'm happiest on. Um, my website is ryanmuncie.com. And of course, the book is on Amazon. Uh, there's a Kindle and a paperback version, and we are working on the audiobook now. I'm an audiobook person. So if, if people listening are audiobook uh, fans, I'm sorry we're getting it out there as fast as we can because uh, that's how I would want to consume it as well. So uh, Amazon is the book, and um, I'll get you a link to that if you want to put it in the show notes, that's Ryan. Great. But uh, yeah, it's uh, just go to Amazon and type in Ryan Muncy or type in "fuck your feelings" and it'll pop up. Work it, mate. What's what's something that you can leave us with? 
um, maybe something you live your life by or, or a great quote that, that comes to mind in a tough time um, or just through the book, what's something that you really love people to know about? You know, as soon as you said quote, I had a few pop into my head. And um, one of those mentors that I mentioned back in 2012 is a great friend and, and huge impact on my life. His name is Paul Reddick. And he told me and, and a group of other guys, um, your life is perfectly designed for the results that you are currently getting. That's awesome. <laughs> and that is, that is just so super powerful. Your life is perfectly designed for the results that you are currently getting. And I love it because it puts the responsibility on us. If you're having success, if you're getting what you want, then it's because of the things that you're doing. It's because of your habits. It's because of the way you have intentionally set up what you do. Uh, if you're not getting the results that you want, same reason. It's, it's on you. It's because of the way you spend your time and, and what you've been doing. And if you want something different, then we need to do something different uh, with how we spend our time and what we do. So um, that would be the quote that, that I would want to leave everybody with. Thanks so much, Ryan. Hugely appreciate you coming on the show and hopefully we can get you a, a few, few sales of, of fuck your feelings in New Zealand, man. That'd be so awesome. Um, I'll, I'll be uh, that, that would be super. I'm, I'm grateful for the opportunity to chat with you and, and share you know, this book and, and what we're doing with everybody. And, uh, man, somebody just bought the book in Germany, uh, the other day. So I'm, I'm, I'm loving seeing the global spread of the book. So if we can get some in New Zealand, that'd be super. Awesome, mate. Um, thanks so much again. Cheers. All right. Thank How good was that? What a champ Ryan is. And what a way to leave us with your life is perfectly designed for the results that you are currently getting. As he said, it means that you can feel the appreciation, the gratitude, and the good vibes when things come along. You can look at the work that you've put in and, and feel great about that. If things aren't going your way, you can take responsibility for that, and you can have that power to change and to get those things that you want. So what a powerful message to leave us with. Make sure you check out Ryan's Instagram, he's got some great stuff up there and the Better Human Project on all podcast apps. We'll have the links to the website, um, his Facebook, his Instagram, his Twitter, all the socials um, in the show notes. Uh, also that 64 degrees Fahrenheit is around about 18 degrees, 17 degrees. So if you're looking to get your temperature gauge right for a good night's sleep, get cozy underneath the blankets flick your aircon down to 17 or 18 degrees and, and see how it goes. One thing that I can't emphasize enough is trying to get in touch with your sympathetic and parasympathetic nervous system uh, as well as looking at the way you're thinking and what you're thinking about and the actions of your thoughts versus being reactive. Getting away from that amygdala, getting away from that limbic system away from your reptilian and, and monkey brain and into what we are so lucky as humans to have is, is this homo sapien brain, our prefrontal cortex, which gives us so much and is why we're such successful uh, species. So really cool. And that's why I'd highly recommend getting onto Amazon and ordering a copy of Ryan's book because I know I am, and, and I'm excited to have a read. 
as I mentioned in the intro, I'm a bit of a geek on, on neuroscience and, and neuroanatomy, so it's awesome to see that there's a, what did he say, a blueprint for how your brain works out there, and uh, it's going to be a hell of a read. I'm looking forward to it. Of course, the episode was brought to you by Waikito, W-A-I-K-E-T-O on Facebook, and we've got all the episodes We've got plenty of stuff there from Dom D'Agostino, who actually follows the page now, which is pretty cool. Uh, we put stuff up from Ben Wyme, Dr. Libby, Cliff Harvey, Professor Gant Schofield. We've chucked up an article about Nina Teicholtz. Uh, we've put things about from Tim Noakes, um, Catherine, Karen Zinn, sorry. You know, all the, all the good stuff if you're looking to optimize your performance, optimize your health optimize the way you think, optimize your day, uh, get over to Waikido and check it out. Of course, if you're interested in exogenous ketones, uh, head over to waikete0.experienceketo.com. There's a short video there and a place where you can log your details and we'll get some ketones out to you if, if you're interested. Um, I love them. They give you such a good energy system, something that's not like a pregym which sends you up the wire. Um, it's consistent, it's steady, and I've spoken about it before. My recovery when I'm in a state of ketosis is second to none. Uh, especially on the rugby field, you do an effort, you're back in business for the next one. It's I just love it. Anyway, that's enough yavering on. Thank you so much to the listeners. It's been awesome seeing the numbers, awesome seeing the subscribers. I can't thank you all enough. I hugely appreciate it. Of course, if you've been enjoying the podcasts, give us a rating on iTunes. That helps us share this out to more and more people. And have a great week. I know I am absolutely loving where I'm at at the moment, loving the podcast, and loving having my little girl in my life. Cheers.